a Podcast One production. Las Vegas. At the start of every year, a quarter million people descend on Sin City to have a play with the latest gadgets. CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, is one of the largest trade fairs in the world, and it's a haven for the new, the wild, and the just plain weird. Hi, this is Mark Pesci, and in our third and final episode of The Next Billion Gadgets, we'll go hunting through the weird corners of CES to find the sorts of things you might never have expected, but are coming. And to aid me in this quest, I'm joined by virtual reality pioneer and old friend Tony Parisi. Howdy, Mark. It's fun and gloating in Las Vegas on this episode of The Next Billion Gadgets. So health and fitness is a growing trend at CES. We've already talked about the skincare mask from Neutrogena that scans your face and makes a custom skin mask. And of course, that's a lot of fun. But I was really excited when I came across something that basically looked like it was a spinning class. Only it was a spinning class. They all had the little bicycles, but each of the bicycles had a nice little desktop on them. And I realized what I was looking at was the next thing to keep us active at work. It's the pedaling desk. So here's Chris Strunk talking about the latest innovation to keep us sweating at work. We're looking at the FlexiSpot branded desk bike. So we like to say, you're not really working too well if you're stagnant, if you're at your desk all day. And And we know we're not just supposed to be sitting at our desks all day. The doctors are now saying, don't do that. Right, so the big thing right now is sit to stand. So we took it an extra step. We say, hey, sit to stand to move. So we want people to move around. And in the traditional office, if that's just like getting up to get a drink of water or something like that, that's great. But what we did is we took a bicycle, basically, if you can imagine, an exercise bike, and we put a desktop on top of it. This desktop is adjustable. We can move it backward, forward, up, and down. And I even have a new one that even tilts that'll be available later this year. And when you do that, you're you're adding activity to your life and you can just pedal for a little bit you can pedal for 20 minutes or so while you're at your notebook while you're at your tablet just typing away and then you can leave it and you can go on to your normal workstation and have the full productivity of your full computing power and uh, it's just it's a great complement to your office life tony and i put on our cyber shoes walk the South Hall of the Consumer Electronics Show. This is where all of the virtual reality and augmented reality companies showed their wares. And when I mean put our cyber shoes on, well, Tony, what was it like to wear a pair of cyber shoes? Well, first, just imagine the scene. We're walking around the show floor, and we see this big display that's got this fabulous graphics, actually. It looks really cute. It's those cyber shoes. And we were so intrigued by, like, what in the world are cyber shoes? And then we look in to the interior of the booth, and there's a chair, and there's people wearing shoe ga- gadgets on their feet. They're basically boots that are strapped onto their walking shoes. Yeah, I would almost call cyber clogs almost. Yeah, clogs are like cyber snowboard bindings, really, if you know about those snowboards. And they were doing VR with them. 
And we said we had to try this thing because this is kind of a known problem when you're doing these room scale VR systems. If you haven't done them, I'll, I'll try and explain. You can be moving around your living room or some other interior space with your VR headset on to explore a virtual space. The problem is you typically have about three to four meters on a side of a play space and so you'll start walking and you'll quickly get to the edge of that play space and so you, or you walk have, into the wall which is not good wall right and so there's the illusion is broken because you think you should be in a more endless world so i see this thing and i think wow they've got shoes on where you can actually avoid that problem so the way they've done is you put on these binders on your feet there's little rollers and you sit in a chair so that way you don't have to put so much weight on these things and you you take your game controllers and you go into a virtual world and using your feet and natural motion with your feet it was a very natural feeling you walk around the virtual world and then do whatever in this case it was an adapted version of Arizona Sunshine, which is a zombie shooter game. So you walk around with your guns and, you know, shoot zombies. So we talked to the founder of the company, who seemed very excited about what he'd done. Michael Bigamer is the founder of Cyber Shoes with Tony. So Tony, what was your experience with the Cyber Shoes? Let's just start with that. The foot movement was extremely natural. Michael told me how to use these things and I immediately was accommodated and walking around, no problem, it was great. And this is the problem because in VR, you're generally either sitting or you're standing and you can't really walk around, right? Indeed, yeah. The room, your living room is limiting the virtual reality and I think that's really a pity because we have seen that developers uh, bringing out games that are shrinking down the VR space, so we hope. Yeah, I mean, look, how many times has this happened to you? You're playing VR and you're in this 8 by 12 foot, you know, 2 by 3 meter space, and you run up to the edge of something. And then you have to play these tricks with the hand controllers where you have to teleport back to somewhere to get around. So, so by having the feet, you actually have infinite movement within that fixed, rather fixed space. So that's pretty impressive. So are there are there applications beyond games that you can see the cyber shoes being used in? Yeah, we had a patient. She's uh, suffering of multiple sclerosis and she was trying it twice. And second time, it was really amazing how good she was doing. And because her left leg was uh, very weak and she was always frightened to, to raise it. But since uh, she knew she was in VR and comfortable, she was doing way more movement than normally. I hadn't thought about it until you asked about this and you answered, but the physical therapy applications of this could be incredible. You, you may want to consider looking into that as more of a business. I mean, gaming is great, but you know when you think about where who's going to have the chair and the home system and the rig, it sounds like there could be a lot of fun. Stroke, someone who's had a stroke, someone who's had some sort of motion difficulties. That could be an amazing business for you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just uh, started with gaming because that's already the content, awesome content is already there and it's fun for the people. Now, are, can you go and buy these in shops uh, yet or are you just introducing them now? Yeah, that's a good question. So after Consumer Electronics Show, we're starting the production. We already ordered some parts from China. So they're already on the ship on the way to Europe and so it's coming, yeah. So, Tony, do you think the future for the cyber shoes is more something we're using in gaming or more maybe something that we'll be using in rehabilitation to help people gain mobility if they've had a stroke or if they've had an accident or something like that? Well, I, I'm definitely going to say it's the latter. I'm also not necessarily a great person to ask this because my thesis about VR and room scale is different from what a lot of people think. A lot of folks think folks are going to be moving around in VR a lot, but... 
To me, the trajectory of our computer technology has always been about getting us to sink our butts deeper into our sofas. And so I, I think the people that think there's going to be a lot of moving around to do gameplay and other things in VR, I'm not sure I agree with that. So I just got to put that out there as a disclaimer. And then you had observed, you said, this could be great, you know, physio applications. There other ways, you know, how stroke victims could recover from this. You could use the same kind of technology to do therapeutic uses. And I think that's such a great use of that technology. Then also I put my business hat on and I think it's going to be much easier for a company like that to take something like this to market if they do it uh, in a business-to-business setting where they're going to doctors and trying this out here. To get that to be a big consumer gaming device, I think that's just going to be a little more complicated, but we'll see. And this is, I think, one of the stories of CES is you see a lot of companies that are just launching their products here and we're about to talk about another one, but you see whether they've actually got what we would call product market fit. Is their product the right product for the market that they're trying to talk to? Or does it feel not quite right? Because if it doesn't feel quite right, that's a company you're not going to see next year. They're not going to make it. They're not going to catch on. They're not going to be able to get the sales they need to continue going. Unless they pivot, unless they're able to be agile and, and you know refit. And companies are often able to do that. Obviously, it's a little bit harder in electronics. Um, because it's a little less agile than just doing straight software, right? So one of the things we talked about in our episode in Series 2 was augmented reality. And you went through this idea that rather than virtual reality, which puts you in a, in a completely synthetic world, that augmented reality puts the world around you. So it mixes the real and the synthetic together. And while that's really interesting... It's really hard to do, right? It's taxing all of the sort of the furthest boundaries of all of our technology to do. And yet we just sort of walked up to a new company that had just introduced a brand new system, a system called RealMax. And, you know, you and I are like, well, we haven't heard of this. And and we put it on. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not the best, maybe. But the best is also cost billions and billions and billions of dollars to be able to make it mass scale. We talked to the founder and he gave us some of his story and the story was actually really interesting. We started working on these glasses about two years ago. Um, my objective personally was to try to reach uh, uh, production within two years. I had a degree of frustration having worked with different companies over here in the States and seen uh, great prototypes which never kind of made it to the market. Um, uh, I can't imagine which companies you might be talking about. I, I won't name names, but I will say that uh, uh, I had a software company called Atlas. Uh, we were based in Seattle um, and we worked with the kind of the big American names in AR, companies you've heard of, um, companies you know. Um, Having sort of hit this degree of frustration, um, I met up with some other old friends who'd actually come out of Mateo, which you may remember was acquired by Apple. Um, uh, Oh, wait, this is the AR startup that gave all of the sort of AR chops to all of ARKit and all of that, right? That's correct, yes. And so uh, working with them, we decided to try a new approach and set up a company in China. Um, And the logic behind China was 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 how easily or how quickly we could get to manufacturing. Um, hardest thing for us was was uh, volume production of optics. Uh, our big differentiation is a hundred point eight degree field of view. Okay, let's just let's just yes. Okay, let's. T- okay, we're gonna let Tony explain what that means. So field of view is how much you can see the angle of what you can see in front of you. A narrow field of view means you can see less stuff in front of you when you put the AR glasses on. And these AR headsets, like the headset-based AR or mixed reality, whatever you want to call it, has been plagued by a really narrow 
typically around 50 degree field of view, which is very limiting for the experience. So I'm looking at a piece of something in front of me and I want to see the rest, I have to turn my head and the thing that I was looking at disappears, which sort of breaks the immersion. This is one of the known frustrations right now. So what Nigel's telling us is they may have made a breakthrough there in field of view, which gets me really excited to try this device out. But before we get into that, Nigel, can you just tell us like what is the product? Um, that you're showing here today. Describe it just a little bit at a high level for us sure. first, and then we'll dive, we'll go in and get a demo. So we call it the RealMax 100. Um, it is a self-contained headset. Uh, three key features, the first being that field of view we talked about. Uh, the second being the fact it is fully self-contained. So although it can be tethered, uh, it contains a Qualcomm 835 Snapdragon CPU, uh, a GPU, a DSP, which we use for tracking. It has two global shutter OmniVision cameras cameras, which mean it does inside out tracking of your location. And so if you see augmented reality in a location, you can walk around, come back, and the AR digital content will be in the same place where you started. And this comes back to when we talk about the design of AR systems, that they have to scan the world around you and know where everything is, so that when you put artificial things into that world, they stay where you've put them. That's correct. And those two cameras are literally looking for uh, distinct features in the real world uh, could, for example, be uh, the, the, the corner of a table. Um, and they will look for that same feature repeatedly, frame after frame after frame, and use that information to determine how the user has moved in space. Are you selling these commercially now? Uh, so these glasses, uh, we, we, we showed our first production glasses yesterday. Uh, so the answer is, it all starts here. All right, so Tony, after listening to Nigel tell the story of how he got there and what he's doing, do you think what we're going to see is a world of augmented reality that's dust dominated by the names we already know, whether that's a Facebook or an Apple or a Google, or are there going to be these other players coming out of nowhere? We'll see. Um, I think it's still an open field because there are so many different ways to solve these problems. Um, it does seem like it's a high stakes game. When you look at you know, it's really it's Microsoft and Google and Apple throwing a lot of resources at this. The only and quote Facebook. Unquote, and Facebook and Snap. I mean, there's other people who are investing. We're starting with the software side and not controlling devices. Um, but the only one you could consider a startup, as I make air quotes, would be Magic Leap. But they have been very, very well funded. <laughs> They're the most well-funded startup in history with $3 billion or something. Yeah, so, so even that, if that's what it took to play. Right. So you wonder if a real Max, you know, if you need more resources than they have at their disposal. But we heard Nigel speak. He's got a you know, great go-to-market strategy. He's got a decent device. Um, there were definitely some benefits to that one. And, and so, you know, we'll see how that goes. If they can land a business and find a niche then a player like Realmax could survive and thrive. Well, time will tell. And, and again, this is the next thing. You know, we see something like the Cyber Shoes, and that's a company that's really just getting started out. They're, they're modest. Realmax is clearly funded to another level, so there's more on them. But again, they're not an LG. They're not a Sony. They don't necessarily know that next year's revenue is taken care of. And so we still see all of them in this new space, innovating in a new space, taking a lot of risk, inventing a lot of new things, and that CES is really the place that they feel they need to show, hey, we've done this amazing thing. We're talking to Tony Parisi on The Next Billion Gadgets, and we'll be right back.
And we're back on the next Billion Gadgets with co-host Tony Parisi. Hello, Tony. Hi, Mark. Okay, so one of the other really fun things that we saw was the Views camera. And the Views camera was introduced originally at CES two years ago. So again, I was here for that, and I remember seeing them wondering if they would be around, and they have been around. So what is the Views camera? The Views camera, well, they have multiple models of the Views camera. The one they were showing off at this CES, the new model, is a hybrid that has two different modes of operation. In the first mode of operation, it's your sort of classic 360 camera that can capture everything around you surrounding the camera in uh, monoscopic. So you get flat mapped onto a sphere, right? You don't have any sense of depth. But with the push of a button, apparently, um, we didn't see the camera in operation, we just saw the output. With the touch of a button, it switches into another mode uh, and the cameras come out from being facing two, two cameras facing outward, opposite of each other, to two fa- cameras facing forward that then give you the ability to capture in stereo in 180 degrees. So you're seeing a, a semisphere in front of you, basically, right? So it is, you're but still But you're seeing it in three dimensions. But you're seeing it in three dimensions. There's depth, and there's some scary depth. We saw some great video when the stuff was coming up um, terrifyingly close to us, some underwater captures and everything. But what you don't see for the audience who can't picture this is you don't see anything behind Behind you, the stuff behind you is actually black. You're looking at a video. It's like the world ends. You can it's turn like around. The world ends. Like the world ends. There's just black stuff there, right? Which you actually commented on. You thought was a bit arresting, right? Um, and that needs to be solved a little bit. But there are some serious advantages to that. So we talked to someone from the team at Humanize, and he talked about the couple of different use cases for these two different modes, right? And then. This 180 stereo mode, that's more about capturing life's moments, not necessarily feeling like you're fully inside someplace. Whereas the classic uh, 360 that we've seen for the last couple of years where you're inside the entire sphere is more like bringing you into a full scene where you can look around and you feel much more of a sense of being there. So the Views camera line has been about for about two years. We launched with 3D 360 and 4K. And this last November, we launched with a 5.7K camera, which does VR 180 and 360 2D flat. So you can switch the lenses from a closed position to an open position in order to switch between modes. So you basically have, if you can imagine, closed lenses that are pointing left to right. Right. And then you have a button where you swing the lenses open and now they're facing forward. So it's stereoscopic 3D, right. uh, which is the VR 180 format. And that means you don't see behind you. That also means for 3D content creators, you can actually hold or position the camera and hide behind it which you can't do in 3D 360. This has always been the problem for people who make 360 videos is you know, you're gonna see the cameraman because you're capturing the camera too. That's right, it's not only the cameraman, but it's also the lighting. Now you have to light a 360 uh, environment, which is very, very difficult. And instead, now you can set up the, and position it uh, correctly the way you want, which is, it's not even half the work, it's way less than that. So the 360 you're saying is not stereo though, that's mono? So in this camera, the 360 is 2D flat, yes. Yeah, and and how are you feeling about that in terms of the content creators? I mean, are those like the two preferred modes at this point, you think? They're very... A a mono 360 capture or a stereo 180, and they're just very different feels, very different setups like you were talking about in terms of, you know, being able to hide the camera, etc. Yeah, it's an interesting question because most of the content creators that we work with wanted a creative format. They're not so interested if it's one or the other, but there are two very unique use cases. 360 is great for taking pictures or videos where you want to take what may be an ordinary scene and make it extraordinary. Because of the 360 format, you can add effects and you can do tiny planets and other things in order to really create something that's more 
unique out of it. Now, with the other uh, VR 180 format, that's where people want to record an immersive experience. So that's an experience where maybe you're climbing Everest and you want to give the experience of actually being there. Like we had our camera on the International Space Station and the experience of being an astronaut is one that only a handful of people can ever have in their entire lifetime. There might be 25 people on the whole planet who are living astronauts. How do people see the immersive VR 180? What, so what are they viewing it in? What content? kind of device? Yeah. Right, so use any of the headsets that are out there. Oculus Go is probably the easiest and cheapest, cheapest way to go at this point. Can you use a Google Cardboard for it as well? You can. You can use mini glasses, Google Cardboard, Samsung Gear, yeah, any, of those. any of those. Yeah, okay. any of those. All right, so that means that really with just very, very cheap stuff. But I'm also thinking, you know, you're talking about capturing fully 3D on the space station. I'm also thinking your child's first steps. Yeah, it could be. This is a great camera for anything that you may have called a Kodak moment back in the day. So unique experiences, especially if you have relatives who live far away who can't see something like this. They can now live stream with the XR from your house and your great aunt who isn't able to travel for the event can now see it at home on a mobile phone, computer, or if someone comes over and helps them with an Oculus Go, they could actually see it in the Go. Okay, so Tony, we've actually gone from having basically no 360 cameras on the market three years ago to actually pretty much every major camera Wait, manager <laughs> is, is offering a 360 camera. Views is a little different and they're doing stereo. Now, Google has a really, really fancy one called the Jump, right, which is, I don't know, $16,000 or something that's used professionally for this sort of thing. But the Views is clearly, I think it's less than $1,000 is used for consumers. And again, we're at a consumer technology show, so that makes sense. Are we going to start to see people recording life's moments, baby's first step, or whatever it might be, using these new stereo cameras? How far away do you think that is? Uh, a, I'm sure we are. As these media types and these new gadgets become available, easy enough to use, affordable enough, they just find their ways into our daily lives. And we're seeing this now um, with the 3D photography people are doing on Facebook, if you've seen that. And that's just trickery. There's nothing even special about that, but they're giving you a little rotating capability based in software, I think, where they pick a focal point like someone's face, right? And so they get enough smarts and machine learning and all this fancy tech in the background and software that lets you create a rotatable, slightly rotatable 3D photo. And those seem to be pretty popular in Facebook. They're making the rounds. So I think, you know, we're going to see plenty of people capturing 360 when it's affordable enough, do these 180 stereos, do things like 3D photography. It's all just about making it accessible and affordable enough and getting it out into the street. So the next level up from that sort of thing is something, it goes by a couple of different names, volumetric capture, I call it videogrammetry, different people call it different things, but what it means is actually being able to capture a real person or a real scene from multiple angles simultaneously so that you can create or recreate it as something that's fully three-dimensional. It's not just a flat surface, even if it's stereo, it's not just a flat surface. So if I did it with you, I'd be able to, you know, talk to you as if you were really there, come up and walk around you. And there's a company called Mantis Technology. I've been aware of them for a couple of years, didn't know they were going to be here, but came to their show. And in fact, they had an entire booth set up where there was a ballerina spinning in it and she was being scanned all the time. And it was creating this real capture of her in three dimensions in real time. Now, what's interesting about that is that I was actually at the Intel booth yesterday and Intel had this big, big setup that they'd done with Greece, and they, they recreated Greece, and they'd done this using 140 cameras, very big rig, terabytes and terabytes, and trillions and trillions of 
bytes of data being created every second. And it took them months to create this final product. And here we see the final product being created on the fly. But let's, let's listen to what the folks at Intel had to say about that. We've been working with this project for about a year. Uh, we have the largest volumetric capture studio in the world. So volumetric capture means that you surround the stage with, what, 120 cameras? Yeah, about 120 cameras, yes. So because you're getting everyone from every possible angle, you can then recreate them in full three dimensions. So it's not just a flat photo. Yes. Yeah, we use volumetric capture into the process of segmentation. We can then reconstruct whatever we film inside the dome. And then once that reconstruction is done, you as a director can then go back and look at any angle you want, up, down, left, right, in, out. You're not constrained to a single shot. Right. So it's not. So you think about it, like television will often have three or four cameras on stage. This is as if you have an infinite number of cameras. Where, so you can actually put the camera, once you've recreated it, you can put the camera wherever you want. So whether you're the director or even someone watching at home, you could be doing that. Essentially, yes. Um, with our Grease project, when we partnered with Paramount, we wanted to do a teaser uh, an interactive movie poster per se and if you look at our demo here you can actually see that we filmed a large group of dancers reenacting um, a scene and at that point now once it's processed you have the ability to control that scene you can look from any angle that you want and I think that really opens the door for multimedia now we talked to Avi and Eddie at Mantis about what they were doing and here's what they had to say we have here um, a studio with a multi-view of our uh, proprietary depth cameras. They're all uh, synchronized together and aligned together, generating a live point cloud. And the next stage is a live volumetric meshes. Right. Can be streamed, and so this is, and this has particularly been a hard problem. Normally, you would capture, and I mean, we saw there's a big demo over at the Intel booth, and they did all of these dancers in this big, you know, 140 cameras, and right. no, no terabytes of data, no, no. I mean, but, they, but then they would go and process it for a really yeah, a long, big pros processing right. stuff. Yeah, big pros processing. We would process it like two seconds. So, what are the kind of commercial applications you're going with to take this to market? We're covering the mobile industry. Uh, we succeeded to have our module into the first Xiaomi Mi 8 in June, uh, which is a similar use case as the iPhone, uh, face detection, face unlocking. But we're going further than that. I'll show you an application in a minute. Okay. Uh, and then uh, we are working on a platform uh, to offer the capability uh, to companies in need for volumetric content uh, to, to cover the, the, full, the full platform. So uh, offering streaming, offering construction, uh, offering scanning. And therefore, we have studios, so we open with our partner uh, in uh, Los Angeles a studio mm -hmm. uh, in Santa Monica. And uh, Adi has the two heads, and he's part of this organization. So we also, there we're working and demonstrating that we can use today volumetric in AR and VR environments and applications in the music industry, in the entertainment industry. But we're also working over there on uh, um, uh, um, automatic gate-through, uh, uh, pass-through gates, uh, where the, the idea is you're going to a live concert, there is some kind of AR, VR animation, you're working a gate, your avatar is done, you're ready to jump into the virtual world. 
Okay, so here we are able to do this in about uh, 30 seconds. Right. In a good environment, we do it in three seconds, four seconds. Okay. Okay. All right, so literally you walk into a box, it scans you, now you have your virtual avatar to join you at the event. Yeah, and, and, and to, guide, to gate you to whatever application which, which makes sense. So we've also developed now a set of application because the market is a bit slow. And, and so we felt that, okay, we've got to educate our customers and show them, you know, you can do better than that. You can do better than just uh, do, do your face. And so we're launching here at CS2 application, uh, one which is called uh, Faceplant, where the idea it is to uh, capture via the iPhone your face. So Tony, you and I have both been following this space really closely. And I was figuring around 2019 would be about the point when it really starts to hit. What do you reckon? Is it looking a lot closer now? Because this is, this again, like augmented reality, this is hard work, hard technology, but it offers a lot. First off, I think we did talk about this in a previous episode. I'm almost positive we did because I am really, really bullish on this technology. I've been super excited with the technologies coming out of the Microsoft Capture Studios, uh, what Intel's doing in this large format now. And those are really incredible. They don't work in real time. You just pointed it out. They require post-processing hours, and, and, and days. Hours, days, weeks. Weeks, depending on the, yeah. the nature of the capture. Yeah. So the kind of use cases I'm getting super excited about and I can see a few years out are like um, for advertising or live streaming or video conferencing. Right. Those technologies are not appropriate for that. And here we go and we, we come and see Mantis Vision on the show floor. I didn't even know about this company. And they're doing something effectively real-time. There were, they were two-second delay, so for all intents and purposes, that is real-time. You wouldn't time. use so, that for Skype, but you could use that for television. Exactly. You could use it for television. We're not at that at my video conferencing use case yet, but that doesn't sound like that's that far off either, given the, this level of breakthrough. I wouldn't even begin to predict how long it would take for this to be really something that becomes a commonplace technology because so much of it is still depending on what the application use cases are. And I'm still a little foggy in that to be, you know, it's a little murky to me still. Um, you know, does someone like Mantis Vision end up providing a lower cost production solution for some of the use cases that, you know, things like the Metastage and Intel Studios are being used for? Or do they have other niches or do they become more of a consumer facing, you know, drop in point to that? And then it becomes more like the high end capture is like IMAX video and this capture is like home video. And never the twain shall meet, and it, but it'll be the consumer entry point. We'll have to see, and that's a few years out before we're even going to be able to tell as this comes to market. But we do see that there are certain apps. There's apps from 8i. There are apps from Mantis Vision on your phone that will scan you a little bit with your phone. And we know that the true depth camera on an iPhone 10 will also do this kind of scanning. So we can see nibbling the nibbling, edges. Nibbling, little doing. We can kind of see through the mist a little bit. There are some touch points we're seeing of what the possibilities are here, 100%. But it's, it's very much a watch this space sort of thing. But what was really interesting was also noting that part of the watch this space is we're in another transition, which has been a sub-theme of CES this year, which is the transition to 5G. So, you know, we're all using phones that are 4G capable, and that's all very, very fast. But everyone's very excited, particularly if you're a telephone company, very excited about a transition to 5G. There's two reasons. One is that it provides a lot of bandwidth, can provide a gigabit of bandwidth. And the other is that it provides, in technical terms, low latency, which means that the time it takes for me to be able to reach out and connect to you or send you data is much lower than it was on 4G or 3G. That makes it excellent for gaming, but it also makes it excellent for this kind of work. And here we have Eddie actually talking about that. When you talk about the communication medium, right, the first generation was voice, then came text and web, then video in the third and fourth generation, then I think the, the 
probably the, the most compelling message here is that fifth generation is volumetric uh, communication. And look at it from the f perspective of the future, right? Having, having uh, a, a transcending the communication medium to being volumetric rather than flat uh, will will change our will change our the way we, we perceive uh, memories, the way we consume content, the way we um, uh, perceive our, ourselves as a society. Okay, so Tony, so what do you what do you reckon? Is five G going to be that important? Addy's quip really resonated with me. I came to CES on behalf of Unity and for what I do for only two things, XR and 5G. So XR meaning? Virtual and augmented reality, mixed reality. Uh, at Unity, we, we talk about them collectively often, and, and, and a lot of people we work with in the industry are partners and content creators talk about them collectively because it's 3D graphics in real time, powering different industries from use cases from marketing to manufacturing. It's, it's a whole media type, and it manifests in many different ways. Phone-based AR, headset-based VR, lots of different things in between. But that's when we, when we say XR, that's what we mean. And so I came here for that, and and how it's applied to marketing and some industrial use cases that Unity is working on, and the potential for 5G, because now we're 5, 5G is going to open up so so much bigger pipes. So instead of um, these limited little nuggets of advertising content, when you look at what I'm doing, right? These short, short bit spots of interactive 3D content that are inherently limited by the five megabytes you want to try and download into a mobile phone over 4G. Um, now imagine that could be 100X. They can be that much bigger. You can now do longer form marketing and advertising content, longer form, but you know, sh quickly discoverable stuff that's coming over the web, the next you know, version of the web that would be 5G powered. So it's like someone sharing a YouTube video with you, but boom, you have an interactive 3D experience. And that, you know, with that lower latency as well, 5G could open up all of those possibilities. And that gets me super excited. And you know, as I was thinking about that, I was reflecting on the transition to 4G. Yeah. And when we were going to 4G, you know, the, the pundits and the you know, folks like us that are deep in the industry, we all were imagining you could do tons of video through pipes like that. But we really didn't, if you pressed us, we probably wouldn't have said, yeah, everyone's gonna be a video producer, everyone's gonna be live streaming, everyone's gonna be watching all their movies on their mobile device, but the idea not that, in their home, yeah. you know, TV and Everyone is watching Netflix we were, on their smartphone on their everywhere phone. they go, or yeah. YouTube, that that's wouldn't the world of 4G. It wouldn't be possible without 4G, though. So now you think about that, and when 5G is coming, that's going to be the era of connected 3D computing with just giant pipes that you can push so much content, a rich cinematic content with high degrees of interaction. So that the sort of real vision of a metaverse of virtual and augmented reality, I think the five the convergence of 5G and XR is what's gonna make that happen. So, and this brings us really full circle because we come to Consumer Electronics Show because it's fun and it's weird, but in fact, what it does is it allows us to take a look at where everything is going, how we're going to be making stories, how we're going to be telling stories, how we're going to be sharing stories, how we're going to be talking to our kitchen faucets, which is really how we started this because it turns out that these stories, we're telling ourselves about the ways that we want to interact with the world 
are telling us more about us than they're telling us about the world. I want to close with one final fun gadget. This is the one gadget that I'm pretty sure that every Australian bloke will have on their Christmas list this year. It's called the Homebrew. It's from LG. It uses pods that are kind of like Nespresso pods. You drop one into the Homebrew, you wait two weeks, you open up the tap, and you pour your favorite drop of beer. It's all set and forget. Do you want this? (laughs) I definitely want that. So LG, take my money. It's going to do very well, I think. So here's a grab from Angus Jones talking about the LG Homebrew. This is a machine which is one touch. So think of the coffee capsules. You've got a couple of those. And this is sort of like a big capsule. But you drop that into the machine. You add the water. The the capsules will determine the sort of beer you want to use. So obviously a pale ale, uh, a stout and so forth. You then press a button and the machine goes and brews for a couple of weeks. And by the way, on our app, you can actually check up on the machine at any time. So you can show all your, all your mates at work where, where you're at and how far away. 24 that hours away. Beer. When it's ready, of course, your phone will tell you the beer's ready. The machine will tell you the beer's ready. You pull the handle and you get a nice cold beer. Once you've, the beer's out of the machine, you're ready to go again. No, you don't have to clean it. You just press a button and, and steam will clean the inside of the machine, all sterilised, ready to go again. So the blokes will love it. Those home brewers that, uh, that can't be bothered going through all the hassle, this is the product for them. Every year we come to CES full of hopes. And I have to say, after almost a week here, I am now exhausted. Oh, same. Reminds me of uh, one of my favorite artists, St. Vincent. There's a lyric from one of her songs called Slow Disco. And the chorus goes, if I'm going to get it right, Am I thinking what everybody's thinking? I'm so glad I came, but I can't wait to leave. And here we are. It's another CES. And we're (laughs) right there. And we are so ready to go. This episode of The Next Billion Gadgets was written and presented by Mark Pesci and Tony Parisi, created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia, producer Alex Mitchell, and sound production Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app, or search The Next Billion Seconds on Apple Podcasts. This is Tony Parisi and Mark Pesci thanking you for listening. 